Hey guys, and thanks for stopping by the Unmother and Unbother podcast. Unpopular opinions on mother-daughter relationships for the woman looking to go from unmothered to unbothered. I am Precious Detina, childhood trauma survivor and generational curse breaker that decided to release the anger and resentment I had towards my mother through forgiveness so that I could heal old wounds and live a thriving life. I am here to stand in the gap and affirm the feelings of women that feel alone and are made to feel guilty when discussing toxic mother-daughter relationships. As your host, I share stories and actionable steps to help you go from trauma to triumph. This is the Unmother and Unbothered Podcast. Good morning, good morning. Well, I say good morning, like y'all know it's morning. You don't know what time. I don't know when I'm going to release this episode, but it doesn't matter because you're in for another treat. Y'all know I'm constantly running my mouth and sometimes I have a whole lot of good stuff to say. I would like to say so myself, but I have a guest today. I'm so excited. It's been a long time coming and I just want us to listen to have an open mind, open heart, and an open spirit. And um, I'm just going to let you introduce. Why don't you just give us your name? And then I'm going to roll out the receipts for you. Okay. Good morning, everyone. My name is Imani Brooks-Wheeler. Uh, as Precious said, it has been a long time coming. And uh, she's my BFF in my head. <laughs> I, I have been uh, really looking forward to this opportunity. So Precious, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No, no problem. I am always so appreciative of having any type of guest because um, as I mentioned to you, it is really hard to get guests because a lot of people, this is a tough subject and people are really afraid to speak out about it. And I 100% understand because everyone's not where I am in my journey. And um, everyone is not going to use their story for the same thing that I may be using mine for. So I just appreciate you for deciding that it was time to speak your own truth. Um, a lot of times shame is attached to truth, even if we don't feel it. But once we release the truth, that shame has nowhere to go. That's so right. that's what we're doing today. We're going to let that go. And we're going to go ahead and open up the, the pathway for some healing. Okay. Absolutely. Well, before we get started, let me toot your horn. Okay, for you. Okay. Um, roll out the receipts. Uh, <laughs> CVS receipt. We always we know CVS receipts are long, so let me roll Come out. Come on here. Receipt. Come okay. on, ma'am. Let me tell you a little bit about Miss Amani. All right, so she was <clears throat> solicited by the media staff of the Potter's House of Dallas as a team leader and an independent PR consultant at Megafest, featuring over fifty thousand global ministry partners and participants. She was appointed by the CEO and founder of Lay Witnesses for Christ International per executive order as the assistant media director and chaplain to the athletes for the 2012 London Olympics outreach. In advance of the mission, her assignment to this post was featured in the December 2011 online issue of Christian Today Australia magazine. Uh, during the November 2013 LAX airport shooting after getting to safety, Imani assisted the LAPD with the TSA employee and other passengers in recovery after observing her effective crisis communication and peace resolution techniques. She was offered a personal invitation to join Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, or Garcetti's 
crisis response team. Uh, let's see here. So much CVS receipts. <laughs> Clinically trained and accredited pastoral care programs for two of the most reputable hospitals in the world, Children's Medical Center of Dallas, Texas, and UCLA Medical Center, Santa Monica. She was, well, she is currently certified as a speaker, a trainer, and coach via John Maxwell International Certification Program as of March 2019. Welcome. I know there's more, but we just gonna give the people a little bit. You know, we just hit them with a little bit, not much, a little light work, right? A little light work. You gotta be what? Humble with a hint of Kanye, just a Honey, honey look, come on here. Honey, you know, we don't wanna toot our own horns, but mm -hmm. um, that's when you have people like me. <laughs> and I do thank you. <laughs> so I'm really excited to have you here. We've already kind of discussed a little bit about what we'll talk about today. Um, but let's start with when did you first start listening to Unmothered and Unbothered podcast? Well, I discovered your podcast in February of 2020, uh, right before COVID hit. And, you know, I was just sort of thumbing through mm -hmm. uh, my phone and different podcast lists. And I was like, I really need to start getting into podcasts. And immediately the title just completely struck me. And I listened to that first episode where you were talking about, hey, this is about healing. This is not about um, diminishing anybody. This is not about um, assaulting someone's character. And so I loved both the title and the approach because the unbothered piece, you know, has such a connotation. And, but when we apply it to what you're talking about, it's like, hey, I'm unbothered by whatever the dysfunction was because I have chosen to be healed. And that was what drew me in. So I've been a fan for about a year now. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for um, bringing up the title because <clears throat> that was something I went back and forth with so much. Mm -hmm. And I had another name and it would have, it would have gone over a lot better, mm -hmm. but it was not the message that I wanted to portray it this unmothered unbothered and unbothered is me that's how I talk you know it's something I would say and okay. so even my close friends that I, I shared it with because I don't I'm the type of person you know you have to know who to share things with because everybody yeah. doesn't want to see you doing well and some people um are afraid to do things themselves and they'll try to project those fears onto you I didn't need that the Absolutely. few friends that I shared it with, they were like, the other one's not even an option. Like, you don't talk like that, you know? And um, I knew that people would, would be thrown off a little bit at first, mm -hmm. but the key to my name, the name of my podcast is all about not allowing the things that happen to us um, between ourselves and our mothers and the effects of the relationship, whether your mother was absent, whether your mother was there and she um, was a narcissist or whether she was an addict or whatever the situation is, right. you do not allow that to hinder your progress in life. Does it not mean, does it mean that we don't hurt, that our feelings aren't hurt sometimes? That's not what it's saying. It's just saying that it does not impact us so much that we can't live our lives and it's not crippling. Right. So I appreciate you for recognizing that. Absolutely. I do. What do you remember about any of the episodes or something that um, besides what you just said, is there a specific episode maybe or a title or anything that stands out that maybe people would want to listen to? 
there were a couple that really, really stood out the most to me. Um, when you were talking about um, the importance of being transparent and telling your story and how um, you understood the need to not necessarily ask your mom for permission, but just to let her know, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And this is why. And just this past week, I said on a social media platform, your testimony isn't even about you. Mm -hmm. It's about other people. And so when you were saying that, it, it sounded a lot like myself when I was hearing that. Uh, I also love the emotional manipulation um, yeah. one that you did because mm -hmm. I definitely experienced emotional manipulation by the person who raised me. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the gaslighting episodes, both of them back to back. Uh, oh my goodness, because <laughs> that is something that so many people are in denial about, you know, um, oh, you know, you're, you're thinking something different. And as you said a few times, what you're not going to do is insult my intelligence. I know what I'm experiencing of you and from you. And so those episodes really stood out the most to me. And those are the ones I would highly recommend people to listen to probably first as they're getting started, because I feel like it sort of lays the groundwork for you to be receptive to hear everything else that you're saying on the podcast. But those just really stood out the most to me. Thank you. The one about um, when I explained that I asked um, my mother how she would feel, but I let her know I was doing it. But I, I, and that one actually, that doing that thing, that act of being concerned about her knowing first showed yeah. me growth within myself just in that small act because mm -hmm. I normally wouldn't have cared. Yes. I cared. I don't care how she feels. This is my yes. life and a hit dog gonna holler, you know, that type thing. <laughs> but I didn't understand for the longest time why I, I could not start or, or, or release that first episode until we had a conversation. Knowing that I didn't know how she would receive it, knowing that it could turn into us not talking for six months or, you yeah. know, but it was me doing my part. And I, ironically enough, she feels just like what you said, that this is my story and I have a right to tell it. Right. And she listens to it. She listens to it. And if yeah. she has a problem with something, she'll call, you know, and say, but she is very careful now how she does it because she hears how I feel in the right. episodes and she's listening. Um, yes. And so it's, it's, I know that I did the right thing by Absolutely. Um, letting her know what I was doing. So, yeah, yeah. I can attest to that. I had a conversation with my mom on New Year's Eve. And the way that I approached it was, so mom, there's this podcast I've been listening to for the past year mm -hmm. and um, I'm going to do it. And I want you to know that I'm going to be both honest and honorable mm -hmm. towards you. And this is the truth that I'm going to speak. And I sort of outlined different things that I wanted to share. And she paused when she heard your title. She paused because of course, for our mothers hearing that, you know, it, it puts them in an emotional space immediately because they're not seeing the perspective. It was easy for me to see where you were coming right. from because, right. you know, we're on that same level of right. understanding. Right. And so after she listened to me, she paused and she said, well, 
I can't be upset with you for speaking the truth. Mm -hmm. She said, I'm glad you told me so it wouldn't catch me off guard. Mm -hmm. Because what I didn't want was for messages to be on social media, you know, advertising, I'm going to be on this show and the title of the show and people drawing conclusions or making assumptions based on that without my mother knowing. Yes. And so um, I think, you know, the whole notion of honoring your mother and your father, it honor has a different texture to it and a different hue to it when you're a child versus when you're an adult. And I get that now. Yes. You know, um, I remember my mom telling me years ago, oh, you just, you're just determined to embarrass us, meaning her and my father. And I said, mom, that's not it. So when I approached the conversation on New Year's Eve, I, I reminded her, I said, well, you've said that before and I want to ease your anxiety. This isn't about embarrassment. This is going to be told in a way that is honest and honorable. And I think if people understand that you have the capacity to tell your story that way, they won't be so uh, nervous Mm -hmm. about coming forward and sharing the truth of what happened because they know that it's about more than just them. It's about more than just their mother. My goal is to see the hearts of mothers and daughters reunited again. And if it takes my story to do that, right. So be it. Right. And it's, ex- it's excellent because I think what people have to understand as well is um, when you are being honest and you are coming from a good place, mm-hmm. the story even comes out differently. Yeah. It could have been the worst thing possible. I find myself all the time really slowing my words down mm-hmm. and making sure that I choose the right words. And I turned I turned down a few people who I've, I've watched them on social media or even when they fill out their forms and I can tell by their words that mm. this is not the platform for them. We won't talk about your mother in that way. Um, yeah. I'm not gonna be a part of um, bashing or, or blaming or this is not what that is about. Right. This show is about forgiving, healing and thriving in your way and I just use my life for content. I say that all the time. I, I just share what worked for me. And you can see, you can see it. I mean, if you knew me personally, you would really be like, oh my gosh. But just <laughs> the fact that my mother listens is, is you know, something. I'm honoring her. That's I'm right. being honorable in the way that I tell it. And one thing that you also said, more people would be receptive if they yeah. understood that there's a way to do that. There's a way to do it because it's not about, I think they're still thinking about other people. Right. And are you going to consider your own healing? You know, that's so true. Someone that I was talking to earlier this week said, and I was sharing my story with her, you know, in a store at the mall. And, um, and she said, you know, your story is so powerful. And I think a lot of people are scared to tell it because they feel like they're oversharing. I said, let me tell you something about oversharing that whole concept of oversharing means that people still feel like they are identified by the trauma that they experience. That doesn't identify me. That doesn't define me. I am defined by how I choose to soar above whatever came in my life and tried to take me off course. And so you can't be concerned about who's gonna think what about what you say. Look, I am the expert of my story. I'm the expert of being my mama's daughter and the experiences that I've had with her. And even if it's an inconvenient truth for others to hear, 
that doesn't make it any less true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely it. It's your truth. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it will really, really end up, this is for anybody that's listening, that's watching. When you decide to tell your truth and you come from a pure place and you are doing it because you are wanting to free yourself, you're wanting to um, begin to build a bridge uh, to your mom, whether, whether or not you need to or not, you may not. Maybe you still have a, a relationship with your mother and there's something that she did that bothered you. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. It's about the delivery. It's about the intent. That is the word. Your intentions are pure. I promise you it will be conveyed in a way, maybe not right away or maybe right away, but it will not be misconstrued. Be brave, take control and take charge of your own healing. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. You control the narrative, you Absolutely. know, and if other people choose to extract pieces of the narrative and thread some stuff together that doesn't, you know, quite fit, mm -hmm. then so be it. If that pleases them to do mm -hmm. that, more than likely they're projecting their own unhealed stuff, you know, when they take the time to do that rather than to just hear the story laid bare as it is. So, you know, it took me a while to get to the point where I wouldn't care about other people's opinions. Uh, I grew up being addicted to approval and people pleasing. Yeah. And so this is a huge step for me, you know, to be able to look and to, to see who I am now standing in this truth of my story and caring more about other people being healed through what I've experienced than about people who may have something negative to say. I can't give them free PR. I can't do it. Absolutely. They, they get no free space. No, what do they say? You don't get to rent space in my head, in my yeah. heart or my spirit. You can't do it for free. It's not. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So I, I want to, before we get too far gone, cause I can already tell we'll be talking all day. <laughs> um, because this is, this is something we do need to talk about. I believe, you yeah. know, you know, however off track we become, it's going to help somebody. Yeah. But let's just jump. Tell me a little about your childhood. Just to summarize, you know, how you were raised, where you were raised, how many people, how many siblings. Give us a little, paint a little picture for us. Okay. Well, I'm a Jersey girl. Okay. Uh, okay. Born in Newark, New Jersey, raised in East Orange. Um, I am my mother's only child. I'm my father's eldest. I have a younger sister. Uh, by my father and stepmother. And, um, you know, really, really raised as that only child. My mom lived with us sporadically through my childhood. Uh, me, neither of my parents were married, but I was raised by my maternal grandmother uh, okay. and raised around a lot of older souls. So that's why I have such an old soul and you do too. So we probably have had a lot of elders around us. Yes, um, yes. And uh, which is a wonderful thing. It is. And so uh, I grew up with my great grandmother. You know, she taught me how to pray as soon as I learned my ABCs. Right. So it's right there in her apron. Uh, she was truly like my heart, yes. my Nana. Um, and uh, like I mentioned, my maternal grandmother took the lead in raising me. We had my great aunt living in the home. Um, and my mom would be there sort of off and on whenever she was there. Uh, usually she was in the living room area. We had a, a fold out uh, sofa bed and I would just want to be up underneath her all the time. 
Um, to this day, I will always say my mom is the most brilliant person that I know. She's literally a Mensa. She tested to be in the Mensa society. The woman's mind is out of this world. And, you know, tall, six feet tall, lanky, beautiful. That same uh, photo cover that Whitney Houston had when her hair was shaved and just looking really beautiful yeah, and lanky. Regal. My mom would rock that all the time. I remember my uncle saying, yeah, mom would be floating like a, a gazelle down Park Avenue every time she walked. I mean, gorgeous. Everybody gorgeous. can't do that. Everybody can't do it. Everybody doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was able to, to see her both as beautiful and as wounded when mm -hmm. I was a child. I've always been very intuitive. Mm -hmm. And she picked up on it when I was as young as three years old. Um, I would have dreams about things. I, I had a dream about a neighbor's child who ended up passing away at the end of that week. Um, and so my mom has always been very dialed into my intuition. Uh, and, you know, growing up, I, I saw her as she was back and forth, go through a lot of painful experiences, mm -hmm. uh, domestic violence. I would see the, the black eyes and the bruised lips and I wouldn't see it happen to her, but I was there sort of trying to be the fixer and the rescuer whenever she would come around. And so um, a large part of my childhood was uh, dealing in codependency, the need to be needed, the rescuer of the mommy. Um, and then also the perfectionism that came because uh, I was raised up in the church in the holiness church. And uh, there was a lot of legalism, a lot of uh, facades you know, it's all about who you are externally. And, you know, you can get up in front of the church and, and quote your alphabet scriptures and everybody claps for you, then you look good for the family. And so uh, at a very young age, there was a lot on me emotionally. So that's, that's pretty much a summary there. So I um, didn't know you were from New Jersey. I didn't know that. I'm from New York originally, Westchester from Mount Vernon um, wow. in White Plains. So yeah. I've been in Alabama over 20 years, but that is still home. If the yeah. pandemic hadn't hit, I would still be back and forth. So I didn't know that's an interesting fact. So but neither of us have the accent, so we couldn't tell. <laughs> no, no. You know, my brothers I have two older brothers. And really not both of them, but my oldest brother, he's moved from New York way after I did, even though he's um, seven years older. He mm -hmm. moved to Alabama probably in 2003 or something. Hmm. He's still holding on to that accent, girl. <laughs> I'm like, let it go. Because when you forget, then Alabama come out and then it, just, just be free. Be free. Um, <laughs> so in your, in your grandmother's home, Yes. You were there for the majority of your childhood. Where, where would your mom be? Where would she go? Did she live somewhere else or did she, was she just a free spirit? You know, um, I would say predominantly a free spirit. Um, she wanted to be there with me. My grandmother had temporary guardianship of me from the age of, ooh, I'm trying to think back. I'm trying to literally get the visual again of seeing the paper, but I think it was between two and four. My grandmother had a temporary guardianship of me and um, my mom 
has always been the black sheep of the family. The most talented, uh, let me go on record as saying the most talented and the most intelligent mm -hmm. and has always been the black sheep. Her brilliance, I believe, has always been misunderstood and her name literally means brilliant. Her brilliance has always been misunderstood and um, her, her feelings have always been diminished. And so I believe that my mom was wandering, trying to find literally a place to call home because home isn't just a physical location. We know no. this. No. And so um, because of, of the awareness that I had, um, even at a young age of the dysfunction that she experienced as a child, mm -hmm. um, I believe that it was just hard for her to consistently stay in the home with us. Uh, I was not privy to you know, any arguments or anything like that. I never heard anything like that happening. Um, but my mom had some experiences with homelessness, unfortunately. Um, even though we had a roof over our heads, um, she was often put in position to, to do things and guilt tripped about it if she wouldn't offer her services for free. And then when she would help and when she would assist, then she was often pushed to the side. Uh, and so um, looking for that love and that affection that she should have had then allowed her to open up the doorway for unhealthy relationships. And so the domestic partnerships that she had, um, really unhealthy uh, men who came in her life and uh, that she, she suffered a great deal at their hands, you know, both physical abuse and emotional abuse that she experienced. So I believe it was a combination of literal homelessness, you know, in addition to living uh, off and on with some of these uh, domestic partners. So I think it's so wonderful that you were able to see your mom for who she was, even mm -hmm. as a child. I didn't yeah. begin to appreciate who my mother was, her gifts, her talents, um, her personality traits that are, are awesome. I didn't, uh, I didn't begin to see those at all because number one, my mother was absent. She was, she wasn't in my life. Um, mm -hmm. She just for chunks and chunks, she was. I didn't know where she was, so I didn't. I still don't really know her. We, we're getting to know each other because I just don't know her. But I didn't know those things. And I, the, the biggest key is I didn't care to know because I was so angry. But right. I was so resentful. I did not care to know. Mm -hmm. Or at least I acted like it. <laughs> That's my favorite word, facade. Um, yeah. It was, um, I didn't know that I cared. I really convinced myself that I didn't care. I didn't realize, you know, that underneath I needed to dig all that stuff up and um, it would come all out. But I wasn't able to see, I, I noticed things every time I talked to her that yeah. I love, that I think are, they're, they're great traits. And I see myself in her now. I never saw that. Yeah. Um, people don't realize how wonderful that feels when your mother's not been in your life at all. And you know, you don't uh, come into your dad's life until you were 16, which is my story. I didn't have anyone to connect the dots with. Right. I, I don't look like my brothers. They have a different dad. Um, mm -hmm. it's just different. We weren't all raised together. I was pretty much raised like an only child, not in a good situation, but I wasn't raised with them. So mm -hmm. it's wonderful that you saw that at a yeah. young age and was able to appreciate it. 
that probably saved you from a lot of heartache. Imagine if you just thought these horrible thoughts and you just thought she didn't care, she wasn't there, you didn't know the homelessness, or even think that, hey, my mom is the black sheep and you, you were able to right. see that as a child. And I think that is so wonderful. Precious, you know, I had a couple of experiences. Um, I remember, you know, always being really um, gung-ho about school, academics, all of that. Like I said, I mean, I was born from this intellectual mastermind. So um, spelling bees, all that stuff, I've loved it. Mm -hmm. And I always put pressure on myself because of the pressure I felt in the home that I was raised in to be perfect, to get it together, to have it all together. And it was my mom who told me, Imani, as long as you've tried your best, that's all that matters. And my aunt Sharon, her best friend who is now uh, deceased, I remember us being at Aunt Sharon's home and my mom saying that, you know, I have different vignettes of, of moments that I remember like that, that are really clear. And I remember her telling me that, and she said it more than one time. So I always knew when it was time to step up to the microphone to speak or to spell or whatever, that as long as I did my best, that would be good enough for my mom, whether she was in the same home with me or not. But trying to fight through the perfectionism that was more prevalent than my mom's voice, that was the hard thing for me. Um, so I, I definitely experienced my mom telling me, hey, you are enough, you're good enough. And I think because she didn't hear that enough, mm -hmm. she made the decision to say that to me. Mm -hmm. Then I had another experience, maybe between the ages of 10 and 12. And at that age, I had already helped to save my mom's life, not once, but twice mm. at that point, precious. Mm. But I was sitting in church and my grandmother was speaking. We were at a guest church. And I remember her mentioning my mom from the pulpit. She didn't say her name, but she gave a full fledged description of her. And I remember her saying, you know, this brilliant woman just wasting her life. And I was like, what? And after the service, I said to her, why were you talking about my mom from the pulpit? You know, I've always been cut from a different cloth, okay? I'm not the type that you could just come and tell me the sky is blue and I'm just going to take your word for it. They have always, they being different family members, including my mom, have always said, oh, that one is different. Right. <laughs> they didn't necessarily like the difference all the time. Right, but they had to acknowledge it. And she had to acknowledge it. And so I was very direct why were you talking about my mom from the pulpit? And my first experience with gaslighting precious was this moment when she said, well, how do you know I was talking about your mom? That day, internally, I made a decision that I would never do anything ministry related. Mm. Well, we see now, you right. read the bio, right. but it took some time and some years and some healing and restructuring my mindset around what is real ministry yeah you know what does it look like because no you don't talk about my mom from the pulpit especially when we know that the reason why a lot of these issues exist that she deals with are because of brokenness that you have never addressed or admitted to it started right. somewhere it didn't start with my mom the dysfunction never started with her mm. 
but no one acknowledged that. And that's something that I saw as a kid. Mm. And I didn't know how to give voice to it because my voice was suppressed so much, you know? Um, you can raise your voice to do spelling bees and speech meets, and you can raise your voice to, to help everybody look good, but you can't speak the truth and think that you're going to get away with it. Cause then it was a, you know, you know, that stare you get in the black community. Right, and, right, right. God forbid. Oh, she's disrespectful. No, I see it for what it is. And you have to acknowledge the truth, the whole story here. You can't just talk about, um, this brilliant woman is wasting her life. She didn't wake up saying, I want to have a drug addiction. She didn't wake up saying, I want to deal with homelessness. She didn't wake up saying, I want to be in domestic violence partnerships. She got there somehow. And it's not all on her. It's not. Did that day change the relationship that you had with your grandmother? Oh, I'm certain it did. I'm certain it did. I, you know, I didn't even really uncover that day or that moment until I did the chaplaincy program at UCLA Medical Center in 2013. I brought it to our group. Um, among other things, something else that she often said, which we hear in our community, especially as Black women, you always have to be two or three times better than them to be good enough. And I, being the only African-American in my group at UCLA Medical Center, I brought that to the group. And my supervisor said, but even that is a limiting mindset. And I was like, whoa. And I mean, when you go through real pastoral care, I'm not talking about going online, getting the certificate for 1999 plus right. shipping and right. handling. Right. I'm talking about when you really do the work. And you have to sit there and lay bare your issues. That's something that unfortunately we don't see a lot of. We don't see enough of in the Black church. But when you go through these pastoral care programs that are multicultural and you got to sit in, you know, what they call IPR, interpersonal relationship seminars, and you have to uncover that stuff. And he said, no, you don't have to be good enough. Imani, you're here at UCLA Medical Center. Love it because you are enough, period. This gray-haired, blue-eyed Norwegian man whose role model was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Oh yes, love it. Told me mm -hmm. that you're good enough. So I discovered that I had limiting beliefs that had been planted there that were just a part of the fiber of who I was. And it wasn't until I got there that I started to unravel and uncover. So yes, that was when, in 2013 was when I really, delved into that scenario that happened at the church. And I said, wow, that had an impact. That had a real impact, which was for a while limiting the way that I even interacted with the patients that I would see. Cause God forbid, I don't want you to call me the, the reverend or the minister or whomever. I don't wanna hear terms and titles that remind me of what I saw. And so it took some healing and it took God having to shake me to say, look, girl, this is who I've created you to be. Now you can do it differently, but what you're not going to do is run from it. Mm. You can do it <clears throat> in your own way. That's the first thing I thought, but you know, at that age, you, you, you don't know that you are thinking about that. Know. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, thank God your heart and mind was in the right place, even in 2013. Right. Even as adults, so we can limit ourselves and, yeah. and we oh, can yeah. be immature in our thinking when it comes to 
our child. Listen, no one wants to dredge up childhood trauma. No one wants to uh, admit that the person that's supposed to love and nurture them the most based on what, you know, society says, you know, mm-hmm. has damaged us to the point that we're a full grown adult and we're still talking about it. Right. Um, one thing I've always held very strongly to is that that does not make me a weak person mm-hmm. for admitting that this bothered me when it came to my mother. Yeah. This, I didn't like it when this happened. It made me feel like this. But ironically, I fight with that in real life with right. saying that you hurt my feelings when you say that to me. Mm. Um, whether it's a friend, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's a coworker, I struggle with that mm-hmm. because for me, I don't have the perfectionism aspect. I didn't get that piece. But mm-hmm. what I did get was let me prove to these people that I'm good without, I'm good without my mother. She, she ain't stopped nothing. Mm. I don't need you. I don't need your help. Yeah. Um, what you said, don't bother me. Cause if my mama ain't here and I'm all right, then what you going to do? That, that is, is, it's true in, in, in some regard. Yeah. I'm resilient. I'm resilient. I've been exactly. through a lot, but uh, my feelings get hurt all the time. I'm yeah. a Leo and we are, <laughs> you know, um, not going to admit that, but we are some of the most sensitive. Okay. Uh, and yeah. so now when it, when it happens, I admit it, I, I have to say my feelings were hurt or you hurt my feelings. I have to say that that's part of me, um, uh, changing the way I think and understanding that it doesn't mean that I am a weak person because that's exactly what was attached to that for me. So Mm, it's about, like you said, in 2013, you were in a place to receive that. And I'm just happy that you were because things would have turned out differently had you not been, I ain't listening to this man. Go ahead and talk. He don't know my life. Right. What is this white man, this privileged white man in America going to tell me? Mm -hmm. He was right. He was right. And I was in the space, like you said, to finally hear it. You know, like they always say, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yes. That's what happened. Yes. I like teacher. (laughs) I didn't even connect that. But yes to that too. Yes to that too. I do. I want to... um, I want to touch on what was, how did you feel before you were in a place to want to share your story? Mm -hmm. How did you feel? What were the emotions and feelings attached to your story before this time period of you wanting to tell it? What was attached to that? A whole lot, right? That's a loaded question. I know it's a whole lot. There was a whole lot attached because due to the pain that my mom went through, as they say, hurt people hurt other people. Mm-hmm. And my mom said a lot of things out of her hurt and her pain. And um, in addition to the fact that, again, being from Jersey, after I graduated from eighth grade, um, and I neglected to mention that my grandfather was a part of my childhood. And please let me take this moment to mention him with his wonderful, fine, 86-year-old self, six foot four, honey. And he is like my BFF of my family. He's got more sense than anybody, okay? (laughs) So I want to go on on record saying that I love my grandfather. Every single morning, he sends me an audio message saying, good morning, Imani, love you every day. 
every day. He was a critical part of my childhood. Well, the day after I graduated from eighth grade, he drove me to North Carolina. We moved to North Carolina because the story I was told was that um, I had a family member who died and willed the house to my grandmother. Mm-hmm. But there was never a conversation with me about how I felt about leaving, moving to North Carolina. Now, I didn't feel like I had the capability of staying there and being with my father because, you know, he was married and I felt like he had his family over there and I just really didn't feel like I fit in. Mm -hmm. Then with my mom, there was the instability. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm like, I gotta go. 13 years old, I gotta go. But I went through high school depressed the entire time in North Carolina yeah you know I went from from the north to the south from private school all my life to public school and then transitioning from middle school to high school all in one fell swoop plus I'm leaving my parents regardless of the fact that they weren't married they weren't together I knew if I just wanted to see my mom's face she would make it happen She didn't have a telephone. My mom never owned a phone until 2003, okay? We would have to catch each other with pay phone calls or whatever. Um, I would sporadically go to my father's house, but at least I knew they were in proximity. But North Carolina, and I'm 13, I don't have the ability to get up and go and do any of that. So my mom would write me letters. And that's when she started slowly easing me into the concept of her having mental health concerns. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was diagnosed as bipolar with schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And growing up in the holiness church denomination, again, you know, everything is a demon. Uh We don't, Uh we don't take medication. Uh We don't believe in chemical imbalances. We don't go to therapy. You just have to lay on the altar until you get right. Uh Uh-huh. And there are so many elements that go into mental health that people just don't even want to acknowledge. And um, and so with me growing up in that environment, I'm thinking, oh, I'm just going to pray and I'm just going to fast and I'm just going and my mom's just going to be okay. And so I'm sure that I ended up projecting that onto her, which brought a strain to an already strained relationship. So I'm going through high school. My mom's not there. She comes for my graduation and she ended up telling me that afterwards, uh, after I graduated, she looked at my grandmother and said, you finally have your perfect child. And my grandmother said, I sure do. Okay. So there's that okay. pressure. A lot. I was just going to say that. Mm-hmm. All of that. Um, you know, I go off to college, I, I go to Hampton and you know, still recuperating from being depressed all through high school and never really having anyone to talk to or anything like that about it. Um, Save one of my favorite teachers, my high school English teacher. Um, But I just really internalized a lot of stuff. Um, As I grew into adulthood though, trying trying to integrate Imani the kid and Imani the adult in how I connected with my mom was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a tendency to really pressure her about the smoking. Why are you still smoking? What's going on? And, mm-hmm. and the same uh, tendencies that I saw that I disliked in the church mm-hmm. um, or even with my family members, I pressed that onto her. Even though I was her greatest advocate, mm-hmm. 
But then I was just so frustrated all the time. Like, what are you doing? And why are you doing it? You know, and did not extend a lot of grace or mercy to her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I remember one time reaching out to her um, for her birthday. And I could tell she had been, you know, having a couple of things to drink. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was in her own apartment. She wasn't out, you know, and about. Um, recklessly or anything like that but I said something to her that triggered her mm-hmm. and she sent me an email um, it was around February and it was scathing and she said something so painful in that email mm-hmm. um, that was the start of what became a consistent breakdown between us uh, basically saying you know I didn't have to give birth to you huh I've heard it. you know um, and that's that's the only segment of the sentence I'll say online, but it was very painful. And so that was in about 2012. And so between 2012 and then her getting sick in 2013, you know, me finding out about um, a, a doctor who was over prescribing medication that then fed into um, an already addictive personality. And my mom thinking, that I don't accept her for who she is, separate from what was manifesting with this medication that she was taking, you know, and me not knowing how to differentiate between the two. So it was layers upon layers upon layers, Precious. When I was in the program at UCLA in 2013 is when I discovered the situation with her doctor. Um, and then she got mad at me and it was like, I was trying to control her and it was just this whole tug of war. And I'm like, I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to save you. And, um, during that incident, that time frame is when I left out of LAX to go visit her. That's the day of the LAX shooting okay. that I happened right. to be there, right. um, going to see my mom, going to do a rescue effort for mommy and end up rescuing other people, you know, and it's just, it's amazing. That's why I say your story isn't just about you. It's not. It's not. Um, the most pivotal thing, though, that I, I knew last night in preparation for this that I want to share today that I think will really round out the answer to your question. In 2018, and now this was, you know, again, I mentioned she got sick with a hospitalization in 2013. So between then and 2018, it was so much going on, you know, we'd be up and down, up and down in our relationship, talking, not talking. And I got a call in 2018 that um, she herself had called to get admitted to the ER, which I knew was odd for her. She hates the hospital. And she already had um, a particular health issue in addition to the mental health concern. Um, that was exacerbated. And so she was admitted and was on a vent. And I'm in Los Angeles. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, let me go and see my mom. And when I tell you, I spent time in prayer. And just as clearly as I can hear you, I heard God say, stay right here. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I have to be there for my mom. I would be less of a daughter if I wasn't there for her. It's been me and her in this thing. The people, the doctors, the nurses at all these hospitals, they know me. Mm -hmm. They hardly know any other family members. Mm -hmm. 
they may have known my grandfather periodically, but other family members were not present for my mom when she was sick. It was me and her. And she had told me years ago, Imani, even if everybody else in the family does their own thing, you and I will always be connected. I'm not going to abandon my child for anybody. Well, mm. so here she is on this vent and I'm praying and the Lord is like, don't go anywhere. He said, you have to trust me on a new level. You've been doing this since you were seven years old. You've been rescuing your mom. That's not your job. That's a script that was handed to you as a result of her being in a traumatic situation, but that's not who you are. And if this is going to break out of the fibers of your being, you have to trust me. Ooh. She will not have the breath of life unless I give it to her. It has nothing to do with you being in New Jersey. Girl, he whooped me. Do you hear me? Put you in your place. Put me in my place. <laughs> and so... And he reminded me of a, one of my favorite stories in the Bible where it talks about the centurion general who went to Jesus and said, look, one of my servants is sick. Now I'm a man of authority and I know that you're a man of authority. You don't even have to come. Just speak the word and it'll travel to where he is and he'll be healed. And God said, do you remember that story? You are your mother's only child and her legal next of kin. I need you to trust me. We need to put a stop to this cycle. Your heart is in the right place, yeah. but we got to stop this. And so I told my circle of friends and everything, and I had people, still have people in New Jersey who have been my rock, who have been there at my beck and call um, while I was doing pastoral care and helping other people and working with folks who were on their dying, you know, in their dying moments on their deathbeds and comforting families. I've had people right there for my mom. And so I always say you reap what you sow, not necessarily where you sow. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> honey, look, let that marinate real quick for you, okay? Let it marinate, Miss Precious. Let's take a moment. Let's, let's. Ooh. 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 Is that marinating? In my spirit, yes. That right there, that right there. Yes. So. I decided to call some people together and said, look, y'all, I can't go to Jersey. I've been given the directive not to go, but let's have prayer together and let's fast. So we fasted. A group of 20 people fasted with me. We had a prayer call. The next day, I get a call. Hi, may I speak to Imani Brooks-Wheeler? Oh, this is she. Person disclosed their name, mentioned that they were working with my mom, and they said, may I ask you, what's your relationship like with your family? I said, oh, it's strained, you know. I said, why do you ask? He said, and he mentioned who those relatives were by name. He said, um, or by, by title rather. And he said, because you're so-and-so and so-and-so are here trying to make medical decisions about your mom behind your back. And I got up and walked out the room. I said, she has a daughter. I got up and walked out the room and called you. Oh, wow. If that was not God reminding me. Right. And the doctor said, look, young lady, you stay where you are. You stay in LA. There's no need for you to come here. He was like the voice of God resonating right. in my ear. And he said, look, we got to do a tracheotomy. We have to do a feeding tube. Anything we need, we will call you. You give us the directives. We'll call you. God had just told you that you didn't have to be there. He, he just, just told me. But I'm going to drop this other nugget on you and for all the listeners. 
One thing I had to discover is that control is protection from a place of pain. Mm -hmm. So the control that I experienced growing up, and even though people probably wanted to say they weren't being controlling, they were controlling, manipulative. Mm -hmm. That was protection from a place of pain because there were situations in their lives prior to me even existing Mm -hmm. that they had no control over. And so when you feel like you've lost control, Mm -hmm. you do everything you can to try to garner it and pull it from any direction. Mm -hmm. And I had fallen into that trap, that generational trap. Mm -hmm. And God was like, look, if you're gonna do things differently, we gotta stop this here and now. We have to nip this in the bud. And so my mom has always said, Imani, why are you so concerned about me? You're living the single black woman's dream. She's always pushed me to do stuff on my own, but I've always been so immersed in her stuff. Not because she wanted me to be again, but because it's all I ever knew. She's always told me to go and do my own thing. And I didn't know till I got accepted to the program at UCLA that my mom was accepted to UCLA in the 70s to attend school, but she didn't go. She felt the need to stay home in New Jersey. There were a lot of reasons why, guilt trips, et cetera. She never revealed that to me until I was accepted. She said, I want you to go. That'll make me feel like I'm there. I want you to go. I want you to do this. So she's always encouraged me to go and live out my own dreams and truth. But in 20, December of 2018, um, after she had gotten discharged and you know, um, and I'd informed the people at the rehab about the previous um, doctor doing all this extra stuff and the over-medication. She got upset about that. She felt like, again, the control and all that was there. And I remember her getting on the phone and saying, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you. And she had put another family member in charge. They, she made them her power of attorney. I mean, she told the people to not have anything to do with me at all. You talk about hurt. Right. And you talk about the thoughts running through my mind, like how can you be a chaplain for other people, folks who don't know you, your own mama doesn't want you to do anything. You talk about uh, just a blow to my self-esteem on multiple levels. And the rejection. And so December, 2018, um, my mom said, I don't wanna talk to you anymore. Well. My birthday is in November, November of last year, actually October, um, I received a call from someone who had communicated with her and they said, your mom wants to reach out to you. Of 2020. Of 2020, I'm sorry. Thank you, honey. So so from December through 20, December 2018 through October of 2020, no communication. No communication. She didn't want to talk. She didn't want to. And let me bring back up the honor piece. Remember I said, honor has different textures and hues. Mm -hmm. Honoring your mother and father includes even if they don't want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to honor that too. That's it. You know, and so I had to step back and honor and not push and push and push to try to to be there because, oh, you need me to be here because I'm your advocate. I'm your greatest advocate. Yeah, that may be true. But if she doesn't want it, why am I going to spin my wheels? doing that when I need to be focused and be about my father's business. And so the person who called me in October, 2020 um, said that my mom wanted to reach out and she was actually discouraged from reconciling with me. By someone else. By someone else Mm. in the church. Mm. Um, But uh, 
she said she wanted to do it. Oh, honey, yes. And my birthday is in November. And I heard from both my parents on my birthday. The first time I'd heard from both of them on my birthday in probably 20 plus years. And that was the greatest present. And I got a lot of stuff this past birthday, like tangible stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I was like, y'all go on and bring the cash apps in. Okay, people. But that interaction from those two people who are responsible for me being here today was the greatest gift. And so mom and I actually spoke on the phone for the first time since December 2018 on New Year's Eve. Mm. And she told me, she said, Imani, for the past year, God has been dealing with me about needing to talk to you. And the doctors had had given her a very grim prognosis uh, that she wasn't even supposed to be here past April of last year. This woman has survived with major medical issues in the midst of a pandemic and God spared her life because she said, I could not leave this world and do a disservice to you like that. Hmm. I couldn't let that rest on your consciousness. Hmm. So when I tell you that is literally the journey, it's, it's a long one, but that's the journey that it's taken for me to get to this place today. And I had to explain to her, she was like, okay, you know, I need us to take stuff one step at a time. I don't want you calling the facility. I don't want you talking to people. I said, mom, I'm not there anymore. Yeah. I'm not there anymore. And so it's taken some growth and maturity for me to understand that for as much as I love her, God loves her more. And I have to step back and I have to let him do what he needs to do in her. And I need to focus on me. And I told her, I'm finally focusing on me. She said, I'm so glad because I've wanted you to do that this whole time. Mm. So that's where we are today. I let her reach out to her comfort level. She's more comfortable texting than calling. So I I wait to hear from her. Some days I may just text her. Hey, mom, love you. Yeah. Keep it short and sweet. Nothing heavy, you know. Um, I leave the heavy stuff for a therapist. You know what I mean? I know that's right. Therapy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But that's that's how I got to this place. It's been a journey, but I've had some people walking very closely with me. I've had people who I thought were good for me who weren't because I was in such a mental space. You know, when you when you're going through so much emotionally, sometimes your discernment is low. Yes. Yes. Honey, but what's like that because I'm not close enough to God. Like he you know, I'm almost out of, away from that covering. So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. off a little bit. Honey, but look, once the scale started falling, I was like, you're good and crazy. What am I thinking? <laughs> what was I thinking? Right. No, off you go. God right. bless. Right. Go with God, you know. Um, and so I have been in the process of reinventing, reassessing, renewing, replenishing redefining and it's been wonderful it's been a journey but I've had to be honest with myself honest with God and now I have the the pleasure of being honest with my mom and telling her mom I honor and respect whatever it is that you want and even though she has a desire to to even um to change certain things so that I do have that authority again from a a, you know a documented standpoint I told her I said you don't have to do that I said mom I'm always going to be who I am to you 
no matter who's down on what on a piece of paper. I am your only child. I am the fruit of your womb. And no one can take that away from me in a court of law or anywhere else. So it's all good. And I just needed to ease her mind and let her know I'm good. Because I know where my help comes from. And I know who gives me divine downloads and who shows me stuff that's happening behind my back from across the country. I know in who I believe. I know in whom I serve. And I can rest confidently in that. So we are on this beautiful pathway towards reconciliation. And it's happening in such an unconventional, beautiful way. And I'm just, I'm just stepping back and letting God do his thing. That is a beautiful story because you have in your life, you, you've been honest and honorable. And you've shown in this interview in telling us your story, because I, that's so important because people just think that what we're doing here is so disrespectful. And hmm. you can't say anything if it's, if it's true, but it is a negative thing or something that may not uh, be appropriate or what we deem is appropriate, even if it's small. You know, your mom saying that she she prefers to text over calling something, something simple. Right. right. Um, if you saying that to someone that that would offend them, you don't tell people those things about your mother. You don't say that about you. I mean, the smallest things get me that people think I'm being disrespectful about. Yeah, because yeah. we have been conditioned culturally, I think. Yeah. Um, I think it's societal, too. But I just think black people, we really it does not matter what your mother does you just don't say anything about it and you're just supposed to tolerate it um and I I don't understand that but um I just love that you're able to still tell the truth yeah but you're honoring her and your life that has been a theme of you all's relationship yeah and that's just admirable because even as a child you were able to do that and that's the beauty in this and this is what I want everyone that's listening and watching to understand that you can be respectful and honorable and still honest in telling your story because whoever is supposed to be receiving it, your mom, your, your whoever you don't know that's going to take something from your story, they will receive it in the way that it was intended. Um, yeah. You have the right intentions. And if you yeah. are coming from a great, great place, and I I really, really thank you for sharing that and, and, and showing us that um, you're meeting your mother where she is. I say that right. all the time. I, I'm doing that now with my mom. She's yeah. not going to ever be the mother that uh, society says she's supposed to be, that I've said <clears throat> she's supposed to be. She's not going to be. She's, she's who she is. Yes. And I am so appreciative for what we have now. My mother prefers yeah. to text too. Um, mm -hmm. and she doesn't want to talk all the time. And even if she calls, she'll be like, I ain't gonna keep you long. And I'm just to myself, I'm like, I know it's fine. <laughs> you know, it's good. I, you know, cause I don't necessarily want to just sit on the phone either, but I understand that now that I've really done the work and right. in the past I would be offended and I would have been like, you don't even want to talk to your daughter, you know, that kind oh, of yeah. thing. That was me. But I'm just not there anymore because I, I, 
we're not perfect either. There's some things about us that people are like, we just don't have to just take the money. That's just, you know, that gets right. It, it, so it, it's just some things, right? It's just fresh is always talking. She she she, she got an opinion about everything. But I love her. So if we want people to, you know, to meet us where we are, you know what I mean? We right. have to do the same thing. We have right. to do that. And it's also amazing. I'm gonna point out that most of your growth happened when you you guys weren't even talking. You That's the communicating the same with me. That's the, the key thing. right there. Uh huh. You can't worry and wait on them to be on the same page as you. No. And that's anybody in life. If you're listening and this is not, this is not about your mom, because I got a lot of friends who listen to run my numbers up and I love y'all. But <laughs> if anybody in your life, anybody you need to heal from, um, to forgive, uh, anyone that you need time to step back and to be able to give yourself the freedom to see them for who they really are, you don't need them to be on the same page. They're not yeah. ever going to be. Even if they're in a place of wanting to heal, um, reconcile, they will never be on the same, maybe in the same chapter, they will never be on the same page. And you cannot wait on that. Yes. And that your story is, is just a testament to that. It's yes. the work you do alone. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to do that. And I recognized, and I told my mom this when we spoke on New Year's Eve, I said, mom, I pigeonholed you. I just made you my mom and that was it. Mm -hmm. But you're a woman who had goals and dreams. Mm -hmm. Look, my mom was the lead singer in a group in the late 70s called Forbidden Fruit. Now she oh. should have known. Oh. Oh. Forbidden Fruit. Risque. Risque. But they were, I mean, she has the most beautiful voice. And that's another one of those vignettes from childhood. I remember standing and looking up to her and listening to her sing You Are My Friend by Patti LaBelle. Oh, yeah. And she was, you know, the group that they sang for, they um, they sang back up or they opened for Lionel Richie and the Commodores and Graham Central Station. I mean, big, big people, right? And so I thought about it because she never pursued that dream because of the negativity that she was fed about, you know, you in church and you ain't supposed to be singing for the world. And so she put her dreams completely, not on hold. She just threw them away, mm -hmm. you know, and said, forget about it. And so when I interacted with her, I only interacted from the lens of being her daughter. And mm -hmm. I had to sit back and think, she's so much more than that. My mom has layers. My father has layers. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. And yeah. I said, these were two people who were broken and happened to make a baby, you know? And I have to see them for who they are, for the layers that they have, even reaching out to my father, um, you know, in November and, and asking him to forgive me mm. for whatever residue I gave to him as a result of what I experienced and things I heard about him mm -hmm. that were more than likely nine times out of 10, not true. Mm. And people would be like, what's your apologizing your father for? He's supposed to be there. He's yeah. supposed to be yeah. And so yeah. sometimes we just have to do that. If, if we're going to break the cycle, uh -huh. we have to humble ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Life is too short. And I've seen that as a chaplain, standing side by side with families, seeing families who still have all this, this tension and strain and you're standing around the bed of a loved one who's dying. I've seen way too much mm -hmm. to continue to let life go by and not just say, hey, look, 
let's let's put everything else in the periphery where it belongs. Let's focus on what's really important. And that's what I told my mom. I said, look, the Bible says to, for me to honor you and my father and everybody else, they can get, <laughs> y'all stand back there. But right now, my focus for my growth and my development is them. And then I still need to work on, and I'm honest, I still need to work on forgiving these other family members. I yeah, do. Me too. That's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. That is definitely a work in progress. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, prior to the show, had some anxiety about mentioning certain people and all that. And I said, remember, this isn't about mm -hmm. you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, again, seeing, seeing my mom for more than just being my mom, seeing her for the fullness of who she is, the beautiful woman that she is still to this day with all that she has going on health-wise, you know, she took the most beautiful pictures on her birthday. I shared them on a selected Facebook post because uh, everybody don't need to be seeing what's going on because everybody's not happy. No. Uh, and I'm wise enough to know that, but she, you could see the, the mask and you see her eyes just smiling, you know, behind that mask and holding this big three foot tall teddy bear. She asked me for a teddy bear. I told her, mom, I don't do anything little. Okay. So here you go. Right. right. <laughs> and she was over the moon. It's the simple stuff mm -hmm. that makes a huge, huge difference. And so, yeah, the growth had to happen and I couldn't wait um, to talk to her. I was really persistent about wanting that. Let's grow together, mom. Let's do, uh-uh, no, that's not it. And I, I was crazy enough at one point to tell God, Lord, if I just had the love of my parents, the way that I felt I should have it, because I think they've always loved me. Yes. But it's been from a broken place. Yes. This is the yes. best they could do. Yes. But I told God, if you just you know, if I just had the love of my parents, I would just give up everything else that you called me to do. Somebody was like, are you, have you lost your mind? No, ma'am. No, nope, no. Nope, that way. I was literally idolizing the relationship with them or the desire for it above what I'm called to do and who I'm called to reach. And when I finally realized that that's what I was doing subconsciously, but that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I got to change something. So I asked God to forgive me. Mm -hmm. straight up I was like that was foolish right. my bad right forgive me I didn't and, know. yeah and uh we're gonna do things differently and that's why doors are opening for me opportunities to to connect with so many people on so many platforms and um and being transparent and vulnerable and sharing my story is something that people need to hear and so I'm grateful to be able to share it well, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciative. I think you've done a great job showing everyone and explaining because they hear it from me, but sometimes they need to hear from somebody else. Yeah. Um, just showing and, and explaining how you can speak your truth. Yes. You're going to expose some people, but you can do it in an honorable way. Um, right. And I just want people to really, really understand that. <clears throat> at the, in their own time yeah I know you know some people really friends and different things there are some things that they mm -hmm. could face <clears throat> yeah. that they I have a friend she can't even listen to the podcast she says it's just I just I try I'm just not a podcast person and I just you know I, I don't understand it you know it's I'm just I, it's not for me and I'm and I'm mm -hmm. like 
okay, but I know you and your mom. So I don't yeah. say that to her. I just say, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know, maybe one day you'll listen to one that, but she, she's, it's going to be triggering for her. And I think she knows that. So this is yeah. great for people to understand and hear that, listen, you love your mom, you admire her, talk about her in such a wonderful way. Um, no love lost, you know? Nice. So thank you so much. Thank you. Your time has been great. Yeah. And this is going to help some people um, more than we know, of course, mm-hmm. because it's out there and then it's just gone. And that is fine because we are not doing this because you want someone to come back and say, it's not what it's about. We'll, right. we'll, as a teacher, I know that, you know, you may right. never know how far, you know, the things that you said or how you treated someone will, will reach but yeah. you know it's out there somewhere. So thank you Absolutely. so much for your time. You. We'll make sure to um, keep in touch and see what we need to yeah. do and follow up. But where can people um, follow you or reach you, um, contact you? Yeah. Let everybody know. Okay, so I'm in the process of rebranding, but I'm still at www.meetimani.com. So again, that's www.meetimani.com. I'm there. Um, I'm all over Facebook. That's the social media platform that's really my favorite. So I'm on Facebook, um, on Twitter, um, at meetimani.com. And um, also on Instagram, uh, the same handle, at meetimani.com. So um, I'll have in the show notes. So they'll be able to to read that that way. Well, and, um, oh, go ahead. I'm so grateful to you. Uh, I, I just, you have no idea. This has been a long time coming. You know, I've gotten in touch with you a long time ago, um, <laughs> but it just wasn't the time. My mom and I had not reconciled. It wasn't the time, but I think just making the connection um, was important. And my, my last little nugget I want to leave for someone who's still vacillating back and forth between, do I tell my story? Do I not? There's a difference between speaking of your story and speaking from it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you speak from, you're you're speaking um, at a level where it's you're still sort of kind of equal with the trauma that mm-hmm, happened. Mm-hmm. When you speak from it, that's an elevated place where you now understand my mind, my life is not defined by what these situations were. So speaking from your experience um, versus speaking of your experience rather versus from um, is really the most important thing to do. I, you know, if I speak from it and paint myself as the mighty rescuer that my mom needed or else she would just be in dire straits, you know, that's not the fullness of the story. But if I speak of it, I can see both her part and mine and the importance of reconciliation um, and humility and repentance on both sides. So that's my encouragement um, to anyone who's listening. And um, I just thank you so much, Precious, for this platform, um, especially as a Black woman. Mm-hmm. We need these conversations. And the fact that you have amplified your voice, you know, and uh, you've had the bravery to come out and to start speaking about it, it's going to help so many people. And wow. so anything that I can do to help promote what you're doing, I'm more than willing to do that. Thank you. Thank you so much. That 
that just fuels me to continue. So I appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate yeah. you. And we will definitely, definitely keep in touch because I just know there are some great things we can do. Yeah. yeah definitely. Well, thank you guys for listening. Look out for anything that uh, Imani has going on in the future. I will make sure to keep in contact and share anything that may come up. Um, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and be sure to share. Um, and I'll talk to all of you guys later. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, guys, you've just listened to another episode of Unmother and Unbothered. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did enjoy making it. If you did enjoy it, please leave me a rating and a review in iTunes. Head over to IG and follow me at Unmothered Unbothered Podcast. I also have a Facebook page. Please go like and follow the Unmothered and Unbothered Podcast. And please feel free to join the private Unmothered and Unbothered group within that Facebook page. If you need me for anything else, you can always email me at unmotheredandunbothered at gmail.com.